I, I actually invented the LRS Terminator, yes. Miniature soldiers, big opinions. This is the Conclave Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Conclave Podcast. I'm the Sandman and I'm joined today by the one and only Quipster. How are you, Quipster? I'm good, I'm good. How is everyone here? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. good you look dude. good. We're good. You, you always look good, but you're looking particularly, particularly suave today. I like it. Oh, I've, I've shaped my beard and had a haircut. That's why. Ah, okay. It makes me makes me feel like I, I really need to go trim my my look <laughs> up too. See, I um I actually have a funny story on that. So, <laughs> uh, viewers, you won't be able to see this. I currently have practically no hair. So, like a lot of people, I kind of let my hair kind of grow. Don't mm-hmm. go to the barber so much over lockdown. And then we went out, a bunch of us, on Friday, and people just like, "Wow, your hair is really long. It. It's really long." So then I kind of went home <laughs> and shaved my head. <laughs> then I went to Quipsters like the next day because we had a hobby project and then Quipster was like but you've actually missed part of your head so originally I'd done like quite a short haircut and then I went home and I picked up the razor just to neaten up but I realized I hadn't put on the clip so I went on with just nothing just bold and so now I'm completely now I'm completely bold because I had to even it out so that was uh yeah you you did like a one all over yeah and now it's a zero yeah that's uh i've done that exact same thing about two or three times my girlfriend's away for the weekend so when she comes back it's going to be an interesting surprise but yeah so that other voice you can hear today is uh matt aka dr rhino how are you today i'm great buddy i'm great thanks for having me on thank you so much for being here so um yeah i guess let's start with uh, introductions then so you're uh, quite big in to twitch nowadays how did you get into twitch your channel has quite a unique basis i think do you call it a channel on twitch actually is it still called a channel i don't know the terminology <laughs> yeah they're they are they are called channels okay um my start with twitch i mean like a lot of people i watched uh twitch for video games primarily um for a long long period of time uh i can't remember what my username was but i wanted something shorter because it was really long and i wanted to try to combine a profession with an animal in something that was clever so i ended up with uh dr rhino and i just stuck with it for a long time but i had never had any intentions on streaming until i had started painting minis a year ago uh in august of 2020 is when i started Mm. painting we're almost two years into painting now and um, oh my god that was two years ago yeah it was wasn't Jesus it? Christ it's the 2020 is the longest year of our lives mm, Jesus okay sorry I just completely lost track of all time I thought it was like the beginning of 2020 for a second there mm-hmm. Jesus <laughs> sorry so if only we knew <laughs> how young we yeah. were but yeah mm. I um I started streaming in September and uh painting Warhammer and stuff like that. And it's just been a wild roller coaster since then. But uh, when I was learning how to paint, I was trying to find YouTube videos and I was finding some, I was, uh, and I, I, but I needed some, I needed a teacher. I needed someone live to offer assistance. And I found the, the Twitch painting community. I'm like, do people paint on Twitch? And so I went and I found the Warhammer tag and lo and behold, there were people painting. So um, 
of course, they were all super helpful, offering a lot of tips. Um, I met a lot of great people that way. Um, some of them encouraged me to stream, and that's kind of just how things ended up mm. here. I couldn't have imagined it, but here I am. How large is the Twitch Fantastic. kind of Warhammer community, do you think, compared to like YouTube, would you say? Well, I mean, it depends. The Warhammer section of Twitch is pretty niche. But um, there, we do have some heavy hitters that pull in, you know, close to 100 on average people watching at any given time um, during special events. Uh, those numbers can get much higher. But uh, the largest, like, audience I ever had wasn't even doing anything related to hobbying because I, <laughs> I got to be on the front page of Twitch um, when, we did, when we did a... Uh, well, I mean, I had to, like... It's not like they came to me and said... Dr. Rhino, we need you. You you are everything we need. No, I begged them, please. Um, mm. Put me on the front page because I was doing a live uh, encounter with rhinos at the Cincinnati Zoo uh, and streaming the whole thing. We were interviewing the, uh, the director of the zoo uh, and asking them and the zookeepers questions. It was an amazing experience. And I think I, I apparently topped out at around 1,200 people watching. And that's oh. like that's the biggest audience I've ever had. But there are uh, that was a that was more than anything. I didn't even care about the numbers. I got to touch a rhino on the face, and that was <laughs> amazing. Interesting. Oh and uh, it's like imagine like really 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 well worn leather. Like it's clearly tough, but surprisingly soft. You have actually raised a a fair amount of money for charity yourself, haven't you, for protecting rhinos? Yeah, uh, I uh, early in my streaming. Uh, career big air quotes <laughs> there um i i wanted to uh i wanted i wanted to do something uh for charity and not to say that uh you know raising money for children's cancer or um or or uh the american heart association things like these are very important but i felt animal welfare was highly underrepresented and especially endangered animals and i was like what endangered animal can i help and then i kind of looked at my username i'm like it's worth a shot. So I ended up finding the the International Rhino Foundation. Uh, I reached out to them and said, uh, hey, I'm a small Twitch streamer, but I would really like to raise money for you. Like, can I like do we partner? What do I do? And they're like, oh, we'd absolutely you actually contacted us at the perfect time because we're looking for somebody on Twitch to work with. I'm like, oh, sweet. So I got to use their their images. I was talking with them. They were actually the ones who facilitated um the the contacts between myself and the Cincinnati Zoo, which led to me actually being able to go there and so cool. um, film. So they've been instrumental. But since I started streaming, the uh, the folks on Twitch have generally generously supported us to the point where we have raised over fifteen thousand dollars for Damn. the International Rhino Foundation in uh, a year and eight months of streaming. That's amazing. So that's, so like, cool. that's all them. Fantastic. All I did was pester them. <laughs> Dude, congratulations for a start. That is yeah. outstanding. What an amazing wow. thing to be to be part of. That's fantastic. And yeah, I think yeah, leads us on to a good segue to, to what we're going to talk about today. So we wanted to talk about Dr. Rhino. I think we're going to cover hobby progress in a sec, but then we wanted to talk quite a bit about kind of some of the wholesome parts of the hobby. There are things that are really lovely. And one of the things that this community has done incredibly well at, in recent years is raise money for charity. And there are a whole bunch of people who have done awesome stuff. And so we thought we might just take an episode and, and shed light on a few of our, our favorite causes. But of course, hobby progress. So, Quibster, what have you been working on? 
what lens have you painted since the last podcast? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think back and to, to like what I painted last time. But I'm looking over at the desk next to me and I've got a couple of things. Basically, um, before Christmas, I think the last model I painted in 2021 was uh, Sergeant Joven. Uh, which is the special edition sergeant that's like got one leg up on that uh, dead orc by his foot. Gorgeous. Um, and I was just like, well, I could use oh, such a fantastic model. And I was just like, well, I could use this as you know a captain. I put a cape on him or something. And I was just like, well, there's not enough ornamentation on the model itself for me to justify it being a captain. Because like captains usually have like ornate shoulders and they've got a the thing on the greaves or like you know stuff stuff like that. They've got ropes on them too. That's a whole big thing. Tassels he doesn't have enough tassels to be a captain. Um, <laughs> and so I was just like, right, okay, I'll just I'll make him a sergeant. And so I made him a sergeant, um, and I realized my whole goal with my imperial fist is to have two of everything, and I only have one squad of intercessors, so it works out perfectly. He's the squad sergeant for the second squad of intercessors, and then I was just like, well. I don't want to have him just like lying around and I happen to have three spare intercessors. Uh, two are painted uh, but needed some touch-ups and one was completely bare. And I was like, right, okay, why don't I just buy seven more intercessors and then I have a full squad with the sergeant. Uh, sorry, six more. And I was like, okay, so I just did that. And uh, yeah, next to me, I've got uh, three completed intercessors, including Sergeant Joven, and I bought a whole bunch of uh, stuff from eBay. And I, I don't like um, buying full models from eBay because like, okay. it might be cheaper, but then you still have to strip them and clean them yes. up. And you can like, I prefer to subassemble anyway. So I just buy sprues, just like full sprues. So I bought like a sprue of five intercessors and an easy build one. I totally agree. I've many, I've many times saved like three quid on like a box to <laughs> buy it, like painted, and then had to spend ages stripping it, and you don't get the bits, and you know there'll be bits that are damaged. I've had so many purchases off eBay that I've just gone, why did I do this? Yeah. Like it was just not worth it. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm going to spend three. I'm going to get three extra pounds back from this, and then spend four more hours, yeah, like exactly. cleaning all this up. Exactly. Like why? 100%. <laughs> why am I wasting my time like this? Uh, yeah, so- I feel per- I feel personally attacked from that because I just got a box <laughs> off eBay of 22 pure strain gene stealers. I'm just like ah. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's exactly because they're all really gunky with paint and I'm going to it's almost not even worth it at this point. But yeah, Biostrip 20 is a miracle worker, but still. So, yeah, I've got these uh, instances next to me. Uh, And then also on top of that, I've got uh, a model that you gave me, Sandman. Um, Huzzah. We actually need to talk about this later, but we i have kind of always looked at the genes to the cult models and just gone those just look really cool there's so much detail there's so much you can do with them and so i've always wanted to just take one of their random troop choices so i think you gave me was it like an acolyte hybrid that is a neophyte or a neophyte i don't know it's a neophyte Ah, okay. They all look the same to me. What can I say? I'm a, I'm a massive racist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've got this this neophyte um, hybrid person. And uh, yeah, he's sub-assembled. He's undercoated. He's ready to go. And so I'm probably, and we were talking about this yesterday, I'm probably going to make uh, a little bit of content, um, a video, that's just, it's going to be one of those ones that's like, 
Um, cause I'm going to do it in Ed's scheme, uh, and go flat out and see like what I can, what I can do with it. Um, and it's going to be like, Ed, you, you, we said you take about what, like an hour per model? Uh, per model, I don't know. I don't want to say that because I batch paints. So that's probably oh me. That's no, no, Ed, Ed, Ed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ed. I was like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I I paint fast, but not that fast. <laughs> so what, like an hour or two per per. I mean, uh, neophyte. Maybe now, maybe an hour. Let's say an hour. Okay, so it's gonna be like one hour for for this model, and then like probably the way I paint, twenty hours for the other one. Uh, and doing like the side by side comparison, and then it's an opportunity for me to talk through like the opportunity costs of doing that, because like with a horde army, if you do that, that is going to take like if you paint the way I do for tyranids, you will never have a two thousand point army. Like you just won't. And I think that's quite an interesting thing to talk about. So uh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Matt showing a uh, uh, turn it to the screen, but uh, yeah. So I think that'd be an interesting video to talk about the pros and cons of like, look, I just need to get stuff on the table, and like, no, I want to take my time with this, and this is a project, and so yeah, just sort of mm. like yeah, the pros and cons of that process, and uh, yeah, I think the last thing uh, that I've done sort of hobby wise is uh, I made a couple of reels on Instagram. In fact, one particular reel that uh, the Sandman was in yesterday uh, with me and Silver Paints. Yep, that's the one with the, the head bobbing. Um, and so, yeah, trendy. that's, uh, that's trendy, going really yeah. well. That's the thing. And if there's anyone out there who uh, wants to improve their Instagram game, make a couple of reels because they are pushed by the algorithm right now. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, get on it, guys. But that's, I think that's all of my hobby progress uh, so far. Okay, interesting. And then, Matt, so... What about you? I'm doing uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good on stuff. Uh, first off, I have to say I'm surprised, Quipster. You uh, you're not painting up that neophyte hybrid as a as a you know imperial fist. I thought that would have been the move. Just like oh no, I'm totally an intercessor. <laughs> no, ignore the like, third arm. I've painted enough yellow. I need a break. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and besides, that is a lot of yellow. Ed's scheme is actually really interesting because it's like the brown sort of armor, and then what have you got for like the undercloth? Uh, so the clothes are uh, Achillean green. It looks like jeans is, is the idea, and then the carapace is um, turquoise, and then the kind of softer skin is is grey. With the ultimate soft skin being like the tongues and stuff. I don't know why I said ultimate soft skin. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> that's like purple. Um, and then the yeah, tongue so is it's the a softest pre- skin. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pretty simple scheme. Okay, cool. I have to I have to get some pictures off you so I can actually try and replicate that. But uh, yeah, mm. I just I just wanted a break. I need a bit of a palette cleanser. I think after literally two thousand points of yellow that I painted last year. I could understand that. It's in this case. Uh, I've been I've been pretty busy the past uh, the past couple weeks. Uh, I built uh, built converted and started painting another ten custodies models, um, including my my custom blade champion, which unfortunately has to sit on the shelves for a little bit while I work on this uh, this conversion or excuse me this uh, this commission, not conversion. The conversion waits for the commission. <laughs> uh, this is, that I'm working on now is uh, is a Tyranids army. Uh, I've done 30 Hormigants in the past two and a half days. Uh, we're going to knock out another 20 by the end of the day. 
Wait, and hang then, on. What? Uh, You're going to paint 20 models in a day? Yeah. Painted oh based. I, I literally can't fathom this, honestly. So, um, like, when you were talking about uh, when you work on stuff, like, there's the, you know, I want to play this, but there's also I want to make it look good. Because, mm. like, if you did 2,000 points of Tyranids, it'll, it would take a really long time. I believe in... Um, for me personally, so this this only really matters to me, but it's a sliding scale of the amount of time the model is likely to spend on the uh, on the table is directly proportionate to the amount of effort I'm going to put into painting it. Now, that that doesn't mean I'm just slopping colors on the basic stuff. It just means I'm putting more effort and time into the um, the bigger models. And I also rely on as many tricks and tools that I can to make the models look as good as possible as quick as possible I live for time hacks um, big ones right now for me airbrush obviously airbrush big help um, I was able to do this entire pile to this point um, in like two and a half three hours uh, with an airbrush and uh, and then streaking grime enamel washes oil washes those are so mm quick uh because you can get oils in just about any color just a little odorless mineral spirit and pfft, pfft, <laughs> uh let it dry for a few seconds and then just wipe it off with a makeup sponge and it sits in the recesses it looks great um like if you do custodies and you do them just flat gold get some get some purple uh get some purple oil paint make a purple oil wash it'll 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 blow your mind but uh but yeah hobby hobby progress has been pretty fast and if it's part of hobby progress i started the twice dead king uh audiobook because oh. i uh i heard it was uh very very good so Ooh, i don't know of this uh it's another necron book oh that's cool necrons don't get enough literature honestly there's like all i can think of is mentions in a couple of other books uh like caiaphas kane and like the infinite and the divine well, to be fair, the Infinite and the Divine is amazing, and Caiaphas Cain is the hero of the Imperium, so um, any references in his book must be a good one. I love that guy. But yeah, the, so far, it's very interesting. I like it. Interesting. They've already uh, alluded to, like, flayed ones, and, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of lore about the Necron tier that has already been introduced in the first couple chapters oh, interesting. that I'm, I'm very uh, excited about. Okay, I'm I'm literally looking it up right now. I want to see who wrote this. I think it was the same guy who wrote uh, the Infinite and the Divine. They're really good. Read them, and also like the audiobooks specifically because I like to listen while I paint. So the um, the guy who I know for a fact I don't know if it's the same author. I'm actually reasonably certain it is, but um, the narrator is the same between the Infinite and the Divine and. Uh, and the twice dead king. So I really like how oh, that cool. guy voices Necrons. So it's a it's a good listen as well. But uh, that's what I've been listening to while painting. I've not listened to the Infinite and the Divine. What, how does he voice Necrons? I, I is it like a Razen, you fool? You've got us box seats to a coup. It's it it's oh, like that's cool. that. Not like it's a been, Dalek. Yeah, I like that. Ah, uh, <laughs> Drazen, you fool. <laughs> that's what i was worried they would do is they would go too robotic but they mm. gave it this that he gives them this wonderful accent 
I and suppose. I find it very, very interesting. They've got like the Egyptian like influence. You kind of expect them to have that because like, it's a weird toss-up actually. And we talked about this before when it comes to like voice acting and the um, and the audiobooks. because it's like you want a diversity of accents because that's just what people are like, and it's like interesting for the plot and the story, um, and it gives a bit more depth to characters. But then also like. Is it okay for like a, a white actor to put on a Jamaican accent to be like Vulcan? Like, is that okay? Like, I genuinely don't know. Like, because I I like the representation, but uh, and he's an actor. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just a weird question. I have literally no answer to. But I like the fact that there is a diversity of accents in uh, in all of the like audiobooks and stuff. It does get boring if everyone's just like, oh yes, we must quickly take the hill, Space Marines, brothers, bolters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if everyone sounds like <laughs> a, uh, a, a a British imperial citizen, then you're kind of <laughs> like, wait, who's talking right now? Yeah, literally. Actually, I'll tell you what, one of the best accents, I'm going wildly off topic now, but one of the best accents I know from the audiobooks is, I think it's one of the ones set in Ultramar with the Ultramarines, and it's just like some random dude in like an auxiliar squad, and he's just got a Liverpool, ac- like a Liverpudlian accent. He's just, he's just a, like... Yeah, I, I'm not even going to try it because I can't. But he's just like some dude from Liverpool. I was just like, that's amazing because he's the only person with that accent I've ever heard in the Warhammer universe. Well, I'm just going to wait then for the uh, the random guardsman who's got a uh, like a Chicago accent <laughs> or a New York accent. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, yeah. I want someone write that book, please. Where's John Grammaticus from in America? Do we money think for that? Uh, John Grammaticus? That's a good question. Oh, probably the middle of nowhere, Montana. <laughs> He's got like a pleasantly, like completely even American accent. Just like, where could you possibly be from? It's just literally anywhere. Anywhere in America he is where he could be from. Yeah, it's uh state your state your location, uh your birthplace. America. Could you be more specific? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So on to my hobby progress then, which is uh, not that exciting really. I guess we'll talk a little bit about the Genes to Lecoq Codex and the Custodes Codex because Matt is actually a player of both of those factions. And so of course, with the new GSC Codex, that has obviously meant that there are changes in metas, uh, etc., which is all very, very exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've had to you know get out a bunch of things and commit to painting a bunch of things that weren't really on the radar before because... I would like to take these guys to tournaments and, and see how well I can do. So kind of been working through a lot of GSC models. So uh, primarily the bikes. Um, yeah, a lot of bikes to paint, which has been really fun. They're actually, uh, you know, as Cripster was talking about with how great those models are, the bikes are properly sensational when it comes to a sculpt. If you actually just pick them up and look at them, they're just so well made, um, which is absolutely, yeah, fantastic. So then let's move on to the the main topic of today, which is about kind of, you know, good, uh, wholesome stories in Warhammer 40k. We've obviously talked about uh, your story there, Dr. Ryan, and how amazing that is. But um, Quipster, last year you also were involved with quite a big charity event yourself. I was. Um, I'm going to have to wrap my brain and see if I can remember all the details. But uh, I was at No Retreat Legends last year, and it was honestly such an amazing event it was it was so many things all at once uh, it was an opportunity for all of the like influencers and the and like youtubers and stuff in the hobby to like, come together um, and actually just chat and share share knowledge 
and um, that can only be for the betterment of the of the hobby because it like raises the level of everyone. And also on top of that, we managed to raise money for charity. All of the the, the live stream um, chat, what are they called, super chats, uh, and all the all the money that was raised that way went to uh, I think two different charities. I'm racking my brain to see if I can remember what the name of the charity was, but it was based in Gibraltar. And it was a really interesting one because what it did was it specifically dealt with um, helping the families of people who have taken their own lives, uh, who committed suicide. Um, and I think that's something that um, is is really overlooked. And talking with Pardo from, from SN who put on um, No Retreat, he was talking about it and he got really passionate. And it was it was really interesting because that's not something I'd ever really realized even like it's the people who left but who get left behind uh who are obviously like most impacted by by this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and so it's fascinating and then on top of that uh a, the individual winners of um like the different categories of prizes that were there were also given you know x amount of money to give to charities of their choice um out of fucking nowhere winters seo the narrative guy wins the overall tournament in the face of <laughs> the orc buggies list drukari uh like some really meta stuff and some exceptional opponents um and i think it's pretty well documented at this point that uh, winters has had a lot of struggles um lately with uh, with mental health um and very severe depression uh brought on by his his previous work literally working in a in a pharmaceuticals factory um, and so he gave it, uh, gave his winnings to a charity called Mind, uh, and Mind have really helped him. Um, I think they were one of the charities that he reached out to um, when he was trying to get on top of his mental health, and so which, which he still is, to be honest. Um, and so yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting, um, sort of seeing where our own uh, like personal things what what charities we would have picked uh, but yeah no it was no retreat was just a fascinating example of of charity in the hobby because the initial goal was something like two or three grand i think um uh, because obviously the sn guys have never run anything like this before i believe they raised like in the end about 10 to 12 grand which was just blew everyone away everyone was just like oh my god that is incredible and i think that's a testament to just how good the community is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I uh, I was throwing money at that during the live streamed events <laughs> as well, um, especially during Winter's game. I actually uh, kept throwing uh, $5 donations, uh, <laughs> telling them to bring Winter's another beer. Oh my um, God, he didn't need it. <laughs> no, he, did, he didn't, but I, I, like to, I like to fuel the fire, so to speak. Um, but that like what you guys did and the fact that you mentioned mind and his um contribution to them that actually is a very popular and i mean for for good reason a very popular charity amongst our british streamers for when they do charity Mm. events um lots of streamers have started doing uh charity related stuff um recently um flickster uh, a streamer named flickster paints uh he did a every year he does around christmas time a uh, charity event for the alzheimer's foundation mm. and uh because that's like that's got a personal connection for him i actually he did a, a giveaway of an advent calendar of minis 
that have all been painted by various people, including himself. And I actually painted one of those minis. So that was, uh, that was really cool to be able to contribute to that. Um, and that's one of the other things I love about, about this. Not only events like uh, No Retreat Legends, which mark my words, Quipster, not this year. I don't think I can do it this year, but next year. I'm going to be like, SN guys, please, for the love of God, let me come to No Retreat Legends, please. Um, I will I will beg, I will grovel uh, to, to come and, and meet all of you amazing people in person. I but, mean, um, if they let me in, they'll let anyone in, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean... Let, let's be real like if they're if they're between you and and silva and katie and they'll invite and, silver and, and katie I, I, over I, me 100 percent, and they're right to oh actually no that's that's i want to see next year i definitely want to see katie silva maxine mm. i want to see all of them at at the no retreat legends as well that'll be really cool uh but anyway uh tangent uh it was um it was really cool to see a lot of people doing charity-related events, and a lot of them actually were supporting Mind. Uh, it seems that, especially on Twitch, uh, people feel very connected to one another, and they, they like to support each other and are open about talking about their own personal struggles with mental health. Um, I know I talk about it and, uh, and the things that I've been diagnosed with and deal with over the course of my life, and it seems to make people feel like, again, just like these charities do, they're, you're not alone. You have people that support you that can help point you in the direction of resources. And that makes people, I think, feel a lot more um, connected to the point where giving actually feels like something they want to do. Plus, we do lots of raffles and giveaways, so that makes people want to donate more. It helps. Quick side note, everyone. Uh, I need to, to mention this really quickly. Sandman meant to unmute himself, and what he did instead was he hit stop recording. So uh, yeah. I spent about 30 <laughs> seconds there talking to literally no one. <laughs> well, we enjoyed uh, it. Okay, cool. I heard you. It meant a lot to me. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so it was, it's, uh, it's a big thing. Oh, yeah, it's a big thing, I think, in the, in the community that I think we have a higher instance of uh, mental and physical um, issues. Like, I have a chronic illness. Uh, I know a lot of people who have chronic illnesses as well in the hobby. Um, the hobby seems to attract... Um, people like us with these mental and physical issues uh, because it is mm. um, very it's a very mindful thing to do it's so community driven um, so we just kind of find our niche it's just like ah oh my god I found my people mm. um, and it's just it's like this massive support group almost um, and I, I think totally uh, that's why I think some people can be yeah exactly and I think this is why sometimes people can feel very protective of the hobby because it it does feel mm. like a big support group um and that's why i think um there's a lot of support when anyone ever says i'm doing a thing for charity because people are just like yes i've got the support group i'm gonna use it as a positive conduit to like help anyone i can so yeah it's just uh that's a that's the thing i love about the community <laughs> it's, it's funny how you phrased that it, like, like it almost sounded like Warhammer was the cause but I think almost <laughs> that Warhammer is the reason we get this effect is because Warhammer's not the solution but it does help a lot I believe because I think that when you go through tough times when things seem a bit crappy sometimes painting a guy is a big deal is just like a big thing and you can just go like yeah. like today might have been awful but like 
look at this guy. Like he's great. I think he's really cool. Like and and one of the yeah, Warhammer is so. I know you get competitive Warhammer 40k, but so much of Warhammer 40k is non-competitive, like painting and reading. It's just not a. It's it's just not you're not comparing yourself to other people, and it's just uh, that doesn't happen a lot. Because like obviously, when you look at sports, when you look at a lot of other hobbies. You obviously want to be the best. Warhammer has this like weird thing, and it's not it's not entirely unique to Warhammer, but is Warhammer is definitely a brilliant example where it's just you're really not aiming to be the best. You're just trying to be your best, mm. and that is that's so that's I think well, that's so good for people. <laughs> yeah, aren't Golden you talking Demon to the guy who wants to be the bit. number one custodies player in Britain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I I do. I completely agree with you. And there's there's actually a really interesting example of this I heard from someone. I can't even remember who. I think it was an American friend. Um, and they basically said that Warhammer is one of the few hobbies where people who are more experienced in the hobby will actually try and help people who are trying to get in, like newbies, like beginners. Mm, um, and the, totally. the example he used was fishing. And uh, he said to me, like, oh, yeah, for example, if you try fishing uh, for the first time and you are someone who's more experienced, like, oh, what's a good spot to go and fish in? They will tell you somewhere crap on purpose so they can keep the good spots <laughs> for themselves. And, like, I I cannot imagine anyone doing anything like that in Warhammer. Like, it's just unheard of. Like, that just doesn't happen. Uh, and so it's apparently, like, I've, I've never, ex- like, experienced this and any other hobby but yeah like that just that mentality of like i will help people i will get people into this hobby is something that isn't apparent anywhere or as much anywhere else well the attitude of i liked it before it was mainstream oh yeah that's, that's and the attitude like. of i liked them before they were famous mm. is just rife in so many communities because i'll be honest one place i have seen it I don't want to say it's like commonplace, but I have seen it is in D&D. People that I've known who've played D&D for years weren't happy that D&D went so mainstream. I don't think you'd see that at all in Warhammer 40k. If Warhammer 40k, you know, if Eisenhorn becomes a Netflix series, those people get into it. I don't think you'll see this community be like, oh, they're all just jumping on the bandwagon. Because like, this is the thing. I only get the lion if enough people play Dark Angels and Games Workshop deems they will make <laughs> enough money. I only get new genes to look up models if this faction gets large enough that games workshop go you know what let's make them a helicopter that's the only way that happens and so and, and of course a core tenant of warhammer 40k is to support your friendly local gaming store and you you can't do that unless you're constantly trying to get more people in there um so it's just yeah i, I, th- I find it really interesting because i, I totally agree with you because this thing i don't like to say by virtue of playing warhammer you become a nice person but what i mean is like because of how the community grew because of how the hobby works it encourages good behavior weirdly and i find that really interesting yeah i agree uh matt you look like you've got something on the tip of your tongue there yeah, I um I I remembered. I mentioned it actually, Sandman, near the end of actually even after we had recorded um the finished recording my podcast, I remembered that the and cuz talking about charity and how supportive this community is, my very first interaction with with Quipster, I had followed him like many people. I'm like, that is a ridiculously good-looking man who plays Warhammer. I must know more. And you're too kind. And I, so I'm I'm like watching his stories. He says, hey, 
you know, like D, what 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 are some things DZ's TV should look into for the future? What are what are some things uh, that you'd like to see? And I had just done my very first charity stream and I was like, more charity stuff could be cool or like charity stuff in general. And your response to that started our conversation together. So charity in in this particular instance within the hobby and the willingness to do it, the interest in doing it, um, the knowledge that the community not only can benefit, but also support that sort of behavior and endeavor led me to be talking to Quipster, kind of led me to being here now. So thank you for taking me on as your charity case. <laughs> not at all. I mean, this is the thing, and this is something that really frustrates me, um, especially about Instagram. Like, I really love interacting with people in this community um, because there are lots of like absolutely wonderful people. Um, and it's just really hard keeping up with it all. Like that genuinely does stress me out because like, like Matt, you're a fantastic human being who does like really cool shit. And like, I love your content. And so genuinely, like there are times when I like, for, even you example, for example, like there are times when I don't get to reply to you or I have to give you like one sentence replies because I'm just so busy or like gonna reply to a whole bunch of stuff. And I feel guilty because of that. Um, but I think that is genuinely like a thing. Like it's really nice now, especially to be able to reach out and uh, like get to know more people in the community. And that's something that we've never been able to do properly before. Like actually just contact other people in the way that we can now. Like, Cause like mm-hmm. as, as kids, we never had that. We were isolated. We were all little islands of hobby out there. And I think now as adults, we're just like, as a community kind of going a bit crazy, because like, if you look at other Instagram based communities, Warhammer is so active. It's actually crazy and amazing to see. But uh, yeah, God, hard to keep up with. Jesus. I don't know where I was going with that point or what the original point of what I was trying to say was. But yeah, hobby Instagram is great. Everyone should do that. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. If you, if you are even a remotely supportive and inclusive person, you you will find a, a group of people just like, like come, come, make, make jokey memes with us. Let's, the Warhammer memes alone are just expanding at an explosive level. And um, I, I message this to you and Sandman and people all the time, especially Katie. She has been on a tear making <laughs> some of the funniest memes. I like I can't drink liquid and look at my Instagram feed anymore for fear of spitting it again because <laughs> um, I have I've legit done spit takes recently, especially with the uh, the squeaky like booping things. Oh, yeah. I love uh, that. One that she did. I, I and, and liquid came out of my face uh, because <laughs> of that. So I have to be careful now. <laughs> but yeah, it's an awesome place full of awesome people. Y'all are cool. All of you out there listening right now. Okay, so I think just to list a few other of the big charities uh, in, in Warhammer 40k um, that we've seen kind of in, in recent years. So yeah, we, we spoke a bit there about uh, Charity Hammer, and this is a, a, a really kind of uh, popular stream that takes place. And it, yeah, there's there's kind of a bunch of things that are very similar to this. A lot of people would like to get involved with them. You get a lot of content creators who will 
kind of keep the hobby stream going for long periods of time. And this is really, really cool. And you get like, you know, 20, 24 hours a day, people are, are hobbying, uh, which is something that's really cool because obviously Warhammer 40,000 is it's global now. So no matter what the time of the day is, there'll be somebody out there who's hobbying and you can jump on the stream. So um, we've got the Nova, uh, Nova Open Charitable um, Foundation. Um, this is a, a big one uh, over in the States. So Nova is, is a huge tournament in the States. Um, and so, yeah, this is the charity, I think, that goes alongside with it. And yeah, they, they've done huge amounts of money raised for charity, um, which is really cool. I mean, a foundation is, is, I don't know when a charity becomes a foundation, but um, that sounds like it's done a lot of work to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're really cool because in, in addition to tournament money, they have the um, the side of things where they, they also have some of the best painters in the country, in the world, donate fully painted armies. Oof. Like you can, you donate and you're entered to win like an army that if you were to like commission somebody, you'd, you'd mm-hmm. shell out two, three, four thousand dollars for these armies. Um, recently, like Mini War Gaming, Dave uh, was involved with like a huge uh, like uh, chaos army. Um, uh, Midwinter Minis donated uh, all the Blackstone Fortress models donate or painted up like it was uh, it, it's it's incredible what what people will just be like is charity take <laughs> yeah dozens yeah. and dozens of hours of work that could have been making them money you they know could what have been taking commissions i think nope, some of it. that i genuinely think some of that as well is just like an excuse to do some more hobby like like i i i've done that before like yeah i want to do like a, a hobby thing Yes, I can do a hobby thing and a good thing at the same time. I'm winning some more, some more, uh, some more bonus points here. So yeah, I think it's it's a, a little bit about column B, a little bit of column A. But I think that that is just a funny thing. We're looking for any excuse to do sort like a nice thing. Yeah, I mean it's um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, and I guess the last one that I wanted to mention because it's a bit local for me in Quipster is of course the London Wargaming Guild. We've mentioned Mind. Um, multiple times already in, in this podcast and they they are as you say Matt very much kind of the go-to charity I feel for a lot of British Warhammer players um, and yeah like thousands and thousands mm. of pounds have been raised and you know every tournament that they do it was uh, it's you know, a load more money which is really good I actually won it was funny I went to the last raffle I went to was at the Fun and Fluff and I, I couldn't go to the Fun and Fluff because I couldn't do the first day but I still popped by because it was um, the guys were there, so I was like, you know, I go swing by, and uh, I basically just rocked up, and then I was like, oh yeah, I'll buy a ticket. I never win them, but uh, I'll buy a ticket, and I won. So I basically just rocked up, won an orc plane, and left. I was like, why can't all events be like this? <laughs> oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I didn't win uh, anything. Yeah. He has the base for it. His uh, Achilles Ridge Runner turned um, quote unquote crop duster. For his gene stealer yeah, called yeah. uh, far, uh, farmers. That's a good idea. I like that a lot. That would be really really cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have to have a think about something like that. That'd be, that'd be interesting. So, any more good causes to mention before we move on to um, some? Uh, I was going to say bad causes, but just, they're just gene stealer cults and custodies. <laughs> Nothing I can think well, of. Well, I guess uh, both would consider the other not that great of a of a good cause. 
But uh, but no, as far like I feel terrible because I'm sure there's somebody, especially in the streaming community, that does something really cool. And I'm doing the classic like your mind blanks, like tell me a joke. You're like, what is a joke? Um, (laughs) What is humor? It's it's kind of that. What is humor? Who am I? Uh, Who are you? It's um, I think I think I've got everything covered. But of course, once the the podcast ends, I'm going to be like, yep, that was it. The thing is, as well, the community is so burgeoning. I just think that these things are just going to grow and grow and grow. And I, I'm sure there are lots and lots of people who make content, et cetera, et cetera, who are going to want to either get involved with or start up their own things. And so I just think there's going to be more and more of these things. And yeah, it's pretty great. Let's move on then. So do we want to start with Gene Steeler Colts or Custodes? Matt, you can make the decision as the unbiased one of one of the three of us. Um, but I have the Gene Steeler Cult Codex in my hand. So I guess that made the decision for us. Okay, so Matt prefers Genius to the Cult over Custodes. It's official. So so Matt is actually a player of both of the factions. So we thought he would be a pretty good guest to have on for this. So, um, yeah, I guess, Matt, let's start with you then, mate. So how do you feel about this book? Have you had time to properly go through it? Has it all sunk in? Do you feel like you kind of have got a grasp of how it works at this point? I think that I know enough to be able to play a first game and realize that I'm doing a lot of it wrong. But uh, I, th- I think that overall, I'm very, very happy with how this book seems to work. Uh, I think that not only do the regular creeds look interesting, the fact that you can make your own with this really cool point buy system. Uh, I think that's really cool. Uh, a lot of the stratagems um, seem like things I would actually use. It's not like there's like three that I will use and the rest that are garbage. Um And luckily, the army I had started building, for the most part, is an army that I think would actually be kind of viable. So I'm I'm really excited. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, I appreciate I'm biased here. However, I do play multiple armies, but and I've never said this before. But I I think this is the best book Games Workshop have ever made for a codex. I think this is like of any edition ever. Like, I genuinely think this book is that good. So it is quite a small range. But the first thing I would say about this book, if you're not familiar with Genius Dealer Cults, is that the balance in this book is, if you haven't had a look at Genius Dealer Cults, it will probably shock you just how balanced the cults are. Like, that, this is like if all of the Space Marine factions were equally good. The idea of that happening is unthinkable. It never happens at Warhammer 40,000. And yet they've done this book and that's genuinely kind of what they've achieved. Now, of course, there'll probably be like a slight best and things, you know, competitively, people will probably tilt towards whatever. But like at the same time, there is no like bad cult. There is no bad unit. If you have a random assortment of units, of genius cult units, you've got a pretty decent army. That's how good this book is. And, uh, you know, you know, you maybe don't take 12 characters, but outside of that, you, it's honestly, it's, <laughs> I think it's amazing. I think this is, this is such a good book. I'm so, I'm so happy with this. Um, it's unbelievable. But, are, but do I you mean, like it? You've said a lot, but do you, no, uh, <laughs> obviously like you're, um, you're excited about it. I did think of one thing though, that as a new player, I even made a note. I even made a note here that at least for me, according to these secondaries, um, here's the note I wrote for sabotage critical location. What double underline? Uh, <laughs> that that's that's the note I took. Um, it's uh, it's a lot going on, um, and I think at least 
for me being a very, very newbie player, like you very generously say that I play both armies. I own both armies. I've spent basically my entire Mm. time as a 40k fan and player. I've played maybe 20 games ever total period. Um, None of which with my gene stealers yet uh, because the army's not done. It's almost done, but it's not done. (laughs) Um, But the secondary specifically in this codex seem a little bit challenging for me to understand, at least as far as um, the the first one that I mentioned. But the other two don't Mm. look like something that I could pilot to get more than like eight points in a game. Yes. So I think you're totally right. And that's actually another thing I actually really like about this book because so secondaries for Warhammer 40k are actually a a, a massive deal because the chapter approved secondaries in 2021 and we would assume in 2022 are are actually quite hard to score. And and actually, they've been getting even harder to score as the years have gone on. And so having amazing faction specific secondaries is a huge advantage. So um, the reason I quite like this is because that that kind of threshold that you've given there. Um, uh, Mr. Rhino, Doctor Rhino, I apologize. Uh, is actually um, I didn't go to I, think I didn't go to four to years be. of fake Doctor M- Rhino medical school to be called <laughs> Mister Sir. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I think that um, yeah, I, I kind of want the secondaries to be at that level. I want them to be solid backups to take as a gene stealer cult player if i'm if i'm not confident i can score the mission but you don't want like a space marine situation or um you know a a dark angel situation where you've got secondaries that you're always going to take and always get 15 on that secondary that you've mentioned is probably my least favorite of the three because that is a secondary that basically your opponent chooses objectives and uh, you have to contest them to get points it's not even they pick objectives they actually put down new markers Yeah, they put down two critical location markers on the battlefield that have to be nine inches away from the edge of the battlefield, nine nine inches away from each other. They can put Mm. those anywhere. So, of course, they're going to put them in their own deployment zone or in a spot that's advantageous for you. And you don't start getting points until you have more bodies on it and no opponents within three inches of that objective, quote unquote, that objective. It seems like nearly impossible to score, even with the ability to like jump up in somebody's back line. That's so, such a weird one. It is. Yeah, it's a weird one. Although, of course, we say that and then someone's going to go win LVO with it. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. I, I, it's very hard to evaluate the Colex at this point in time. Because, you know, one of the uh, amazing talents at Art of War or something is probably going to rock up to LVO with, you know, 30 aberrants, you know, 30 metamorphs and six biophagus. And we're all going to be like, oh, yeah, in hindsight, that's obviously the best build. But uh, <laughs> at this point in time, that that's not so easy. The other secondaries, I should say, are, are, I quite like. You, you basically kind of get points for, for playing as GSC, really. One of them is very, very good versus stuff like Custodes because you get points for having more models in parts of the board, which is going to be quite easy to score a lot of the time. But uh, And the other one, yeah, it's, it's basically you just I get points you for all. playing as GSC, but the, the, the cap is, well, not cap, but the opportunity to score them is actually quite low. So, um, yeah, as, as Matt says, it's kind of like an easy eight. Um, but I'm actually, yeah, overall, I'm quite happy with them. Uh, yeah, outside of that first one, I'd, I'd, I think I'd, I'd take the other two pretty pretty confidently if, if I, it was in a mission where I didn't have anything else to go with, um, which is pretty cool. I guess I guess the big question for you then, Matt, because it has been um, not a controversy, but um, you know, different people have different opinions, and um, 
everyone's is valid how how have you felt the complexity of this book is so i've obviously been playing you know competitive one forty k for quite a while so um i thought this i thought this was fine but you know it's not just about competitive 40k it's about um everyone's so how have you found it I think that, and I feel like this is such a, a waffly, um, neutral Switzerlandy answer. But um, what's up? What's up to the Swiss? But um, I think that this army has the potential to be played anywhere and and played well and enjoyable at a level from the equivalent of checkers to the equivalent of chess for an amateur to like grandmaster chess level. Um, like it, once you really understand like when and where and how to take certain units up from, um, you know, underground and when to, when to come in within three inches, when to come within six. And once you really understand that and lining things up for exposed and crossfire, there's a lot of tools that can be used effectively at a basic level. But in the hands of a like a true expert, like someone with a lot of experience with the faction, like you, Sandman, like I think someone like you will very easily be able to take the existing tool set and do incredible things with it, like run circles around people. And I'll just have fun. Yeah, I, I do think there's a bit of an opportunity in tournament wise to basically kind of fluster your opponent um <laughs> with rules i do think that's possible because the genius delicates and and this is not exclusive to them but there are a lot of optional upgrades so you can pay points for upgrades of course everyone has relics and warlord traits you talked about the the custom cults one of the things about the custom cults that's quite interesting as a side point is um the point system is up to four and there are some cult abilities that are worth one so you can have four abilities as your faction ability now they're not obviously as powerful as having one of the the ones that's worth you know three but they're still really good so you can have just like an absolute array of rules and your opponent you know might be really fussy you know you've got you got you can take like seven characters pretty comfortably and then you know your command face is going to last a fairly long while or whatever it's going to be so um i think that does interest me because um kind of as we spoke about before i, I want more people to get into this faction and i know it can be intimidating but i think as well you can make a simple army and, and then you can have just a really good time with it and i look at it in terms of it's not that the army is complex from the beginning it's the fact that you can make a simple army and add complexity as you'd like which is really really cool because you know taking things like you know rock grinders and trucks you know they, they, they work exactly the same as your transports do um they're just much cooler Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let me let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. You guys mm -hmm. get transports? Yes, we get transports that are also dreadnoughts. Yeah. What? We get transports that are Do you know the okay with this at all? Do you know the stat line for the rock grinder? It's insane. Oh god. It's insane. So yeah, I actually played my first game with them today. It was quite funny actually. I I, I took like one of every unit because I didn't know what to take. And it was one of those things where a lot of the time when you get a new codex, you go, yeah, but is this just going to be good on paper? And so to me, the two things that are points-wise just incredibly good are the jackals, which are the bikes, and the rock grinders. Because um, yeah, exactly as Matt's talked about, they basically have the same stats, the, the dreadnought, the rock grinder, T7, three up save, minus one damage. But they're, they've got 10 wounds and they're cheaper. Um, and their damage up is also really good. And I played with them today and 
honestly it's just insane like they're, they're so good um like i, I don't yeah, i don't overdo it until they're like broken or anything but they are so incredibly efficient the the bikes are so hard to remove for their points again like it's, it's nothing it's not going to ruin your day it's, it's t4 with a five up save and minus one to hit but like still for what you get for your points it's actually so efficient so yeah those are the, those are the two units that i will probably be maxing quite a lot of in the uh, in my future games, I don't doubt. Yeah, I definitely want to get another rock grinder. Uh, but I have twelve mm. jackals already. But between like again, oh, cool. Quipster, it's a it's a dreadnought that can carry six things. So that's tasty. Mm. Uh and also oh, you can just God. auto blow it up for fifteen points. Yeah, that's what? always fun. Just, what? Yeah. Oh my god. No, I love yep, that. One CP stratagem, I mean, just poof, up it goes. Uh, it's cool. Yeah. I get it. But also, as someone who's definitely going to be on the receiving end of that at some point, it's like, oh, no. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see LVO at this point. Like, this has made me really excited for that tournament. I actually have my own tournament um, uh, a week today as of the date of recording, which I'm quite excited for because you know, I wanted to go somewhere and, and try this book out competitively. So, yeah, really excited for that. I've uh, got a lot of painting to do this week, therefore. Uh, <laughs> however, yeah, I'm so excited to see how this does. And yeah, I want to see how LVO turns out. Like, you know, are are they good enough to beat the Crusher Stampede? Um, at the moment, it's just an absolutely amazing list. We've got obviously Thick City is still rocking around. Uh, we've got Grey Knights and Orcs. You know, still these incredible factions. I'm really curious to see how it does compared to them. However. I feel, and I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know what the points are going to be in Chapter Approved 2022. They're going on on pre-order um, this Saturday coming, I believe. So maybe we'll find out shortly. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly confident. I think GSC might be one of the best armies in the game after that, because the secondary changes favour GSC units quite a lot. And um, yeah, obviously a lot of the things that are good right now are going to get points hikes. We would assume so. Um, yeah, very exciting times for the hive mind. So one thing I'm really intrigued by is um, we talk about GSC being, or GSC Cults being one of the best armies in the game. And I, from everything I've seen, I agree. The toolbox is crazy. The units are also good. The characters have abilities that you want to use. There's nothing wasteful in the codex. There's no fat to trim. Mm. Um, but... Basically, every bat rep I've seen so far with GSC, they've lost against Custodes. And I'm... That's a good, is that's that a good just point. a bad I mean, matchup? So, I think the Custodes have got far more legs than I think people thought they had done. I guess we can move on to Custodes in a sec. Um, I guess, yeah, as we finish this up, because it's a pretty good segue, actually. Mm. Because, yeah, exactly as it says, of course, everyone has been trialling uh, these two factions. And I think that GSC can do really well into Custodes. However, I think Custodes were quite... It, it, it's very, very early days, but it seems that the opinion on Custodes is turning around quite quickly. People were quite down on a lot of the changes that Custodes got in their book. And now they actually, you know, in hindsight, people go, oh, actually, no, this is really good. And actually, I don't really need that thing if I've got this thing. And so it's fine. Um, but GSC, uh, I don't know about that matchup. There's definitely some parts of Custodes are amazing. So um, Shadow Keepers is incredible versus GSC because so much has two attacks. So it's like when Custodes play Death Guard. If you if you, if your army is two damage and you play against an army that's minus one damage, you, you're you're halving your output. 
in that game as GSC so many things have two attacks when you're playing against custodians the shadow keepers well, most one attack yeah you, you've got you've got half your output there so that, that's absolutely massive but yeah no I definitely think that there's a, another factor though which is that GSC are a very expensive army and a, uh, an army that is quite there's a lot to paint when it comes to GSC so it's the case that I actually don't think a lot of people will have the things that are going to be meta straight away and it might actually take a couple of weeks for these bat rep channels to get all the things that they need like if it is the bikes if that's the way everybody goes if everybody spams loads of bikes you know th- those are you know i think they're like 30 quid a box for five in the uk so that they're quite expensive i think that um uh yeah if it's yeah again lots and lots of acolytes if it's if, it, if that remains the same then those are very expensive to get as well um again you buy them in boxes of five so yeah it's going to take a little bit of time for people to figure out what the sweet spot is for the faction and i guess we'll see i guess we'll see so on to custodies then so quipster how would you feel about the book are, are you happy are you not happy are you in the middle is it what you wanted okay so i have I have a lot of thoughts about this and i've chatted with a bunch of other custodies players about this um i got the opportunity like I know Bridger now after No Retreat Legends. And so obviously Bridger's a big uh, Custodes player. So I, I remember having a, 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 I've had a long chat with him about this. And we've come to a couple of conclusions. Um, and so one of the things that we talked about was the fact that Custodes don't really have any transports. Yeah, you've got the Rhino with uh, the sisters now, which are in the Codex. Um, and you've also got the Forge World transport, which is horribly overcosted, so you're never going to be able to use it. Um, but you you don't have a delivery mechanism for the custodies. You don't have a way of getting them there to combat, because combat is where they shine. The Orion. And so what you what that means, yeah. And so what that means is you either need to give them um a bonus to movement, a bonus to their defense, or a bonus to their attack. You need to give them a bonus to movement so that they can actually get to combat and then they're fine. You need to give them, or you need to give them a bonus to their defense so they can walk up the board and actually get into combat and there'll be enough of them left that they can do something. Or you need to make them hit so hard that it doesn't matter if they take losses, they'll be able to get there with just a normal movement speed anyway and actually do some damage with whatever's left. So there are three ways that you can take it. And from looking at the book from a bird's eye perspective, without having played it, it did seem to, you know, people who had just read the Codex that they didn't have any of those. The three-up the three in one is gone. Um, so the d- defensive buffs are gone. They have a movement speed of six, and that's it. Um, so there's no speed there. And the attacks, well, they've basically all got the same attacks as before. I think Trajan's got an extra one. Some of the other HQs have extra ones, but otherwise it's basically the same. Um and, okay, you're on damage two now. So it's not that much of an upgrade when it comes to the stopping power. So it's looking from those three perspectives. You look at the codex, you just think, oh my God, what can we do here? What I think, I don't, I need to actually like sit down and be able to play a couple of games. And I've actually got one planned with Reza uh, next week. Um, what is going to be really interesting is seeing where all of the synergies are in the book because previously and you know sandman we've talked about this before um custodies with the war of the spider uh strats um in eighth and ninth edition well sorry ninth edition 
um, meant that basically there was a strat for every situation. Like, oh, you've got rerolls, mm. I'm going to turn them off. Oh, you've got a big thing, I'm going to transhuman. Oh, you've got this, I'm going to do that for literally every single situation. And the first few times I played it, I was like, this is amazing. And then I started realizing, like, actually, it's kind of a bit boring. And, you know, Sandman, we, we talked about this at the time. Like, yeah, custodies are just have a trick for literally every situation. And that's not actually that great a gameplay mechanic. And so the fact that we now have the uh, the martial catters and we have actual chapter tactics and interesting um, faction or sub-faction based strats, like it's like uh, going back to the Gene Cedar Cult Codex, there are few, in terms of match play, there are very few bad options. Like there's no, there's no single um, shield company or shield host that is bad. They all have amazing things that they can do. Um, and there's no one you'd look at and be like, oh, that's the worst one or, oh, that's the best one. I know that uh, the Titans guys were taking a lot of um, uh, Solar Watch because they were very big on, oh, I want to get the movement. I want to be able to move around the board and, you know, do my shenanigans. And I think that's a really great tactic. Um, but then there's like other shenanigans you can pull off with Dreadhost. And I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, the synergies and how everything in the book operates together, because I think that it is all very well balanced and I think it all does work together really, really well. Um, and so I do think... I do think some some things are still a little bit underpowered, and I realize as well I've been talking for like quite a long time now. But um, I do think the one weakness of the book is I think everything just needs plus one attack, and it's fine. And I don't think you need to change anything else. Um, maybe not on the HQ units. I mean, Trajan probably needs an extra attack. But if you compare, for example, a Custodian Guardian with Sword and Shield against a comparable unit, which is arguably the Space Marine Blade Guard, the Blade Guard's got more attacks and hits just about the same. And that's mm. kind of not okay uh, because the Custodian yeah. is obviously so many more points. So I, I think they do just need plus one attack across most data sheets, if I'm honest. And that's basically the only, th the only criticism I could have of the book. Um, and before, sorry, Matt, I know I'm I'm like just barreling through this, but there's there's one thing I, I kind of do have to mention as well, um, and it's the Crusade stuff. And I've got to say, they absolutely nailed the Crusade stuff. And I, I'd be interested to see if you guys have read any of it. But uh, I I really I I really enjoy Crusade as a system because James Workshop they really dig into like what is the core of every faction and they do give some really interesting really great rules where i think the weakness of crusade is at the moment is that it only works properly if you've got a codex so i think near the end of the edition we're going to see a lot more co uh, a lot more crusade gameplay out there but uh yeah with the crusade stuff they've really touched on like what it means to be a custodian it's very in individualistic it's very like almost like way of the samurai. Like I am going to perfect this thing that I am doing, um, and I really like how they've um, like exemplified that in the crusade stuff. I'm going to shut up now because I've been talking for like a really long time. 
So I think you raised um, a lot of interesting points on uh, on the Custodes Codex. I my personal take is that they missed a trick um, with the Custodes weapons. Uh, a lot of people are saying axes should have been three damage. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say we're in a position where Custodes could have a one, two and a three damage weapon. Spears, strength, plus one, minus one AP. The number of attacks you do is double the number of attacks for one damage. So you have four attacks, you get a sweep for eight that only do one damage at minus one AP. Great for clearing hordes. Then you go uh, to the sword and shield. Shield, now, just like the... uh, uh, we get some Dark Angels action. Ignore minus one and two AP. That's that's what the shields Ooh. do. Ignore minus one and two AP, and the swords are plus two strength, or excuse me, strength plus two, AP minus two, flat two damage. Then you have, uh, or no, excuse me, strength plus one, AP minus two, flat two, and then axes are strength times two, AP minus three, flat three. I think that's. So you what- want to make every Terminator Trajan? Yes. I Jesus think, Christ. Okay. <laughs> and I think, and I think, um, like you said, Trajan should have an additional attack. But I think mm, that yeah. that's the that's the route I would go because I like the idea of if you're going to make them glass cannons, make them glass cannons, and at the same time give them the tools to deal with. Like, if you're like, okay, there's a lot of gene st- or uh, gene stealers and uh, tyranids in the meta right now with lots of like piles of termagons and hormagons. Bringing spears will give me the ability to sweep for a single, even if you take the AP away, just like strength user, AP zero, double the attacks for one damage. That's eight attacks hitting on twos, wounding probably on threes. And that's pretty good. It's not great against everything, but it's pretty good. I like, I like where you're going with that, with the sweep attack. But if you look at the catters, I'm looking for it now. I think it's not to cast right. I think it's a captaris. There is one of the catters which gives you an extra attack, but all the damage is just one rather than two. I think if you were to just have that, I think genuinely if you just gave most things, most data sheets plus one attack, and then just had that particular catter um, as attacks are doubled from these units, but the damage is one, I don't think that would actually be that broken because you can only have it for one or two turns. That's a good point. And so it's limited. And it also means that you keep the way that the weapons are structured because it's plus one strength for the sword, plus one stre- uh, plus two strength for the uh, spear, and plus three for the axe. Um, but the damage is the same and the AP is the same except for the axe, which is minus two. Um, I prefer that because it's like a natural progression in your mind, so it's actually just easier to remember. Um, so th- I, I get there's a, there's a toss-up between making the weapons more unique and do more unique things and keeping it more simplified for newer players. I prefer to keep it more simplified um, and have some more of the complexity in the catters instead. But I'm it's just, that's, that's just my opinion, bro. No, and I, <laughs> and I totally understand that. And I, I do approach it from, like, my idea of simplicity was spears are one damage, swords are two, axes are three. That was like, that's where the simplicity in my mm. mind went. Like, oh, I need things to hit hard. I get the axe. I need things to protect me and do a little bit more better damage close up uh, sword and board. But again, that's just where we differ. And obviously, uh, James is not listening to me. Um, So, (laughs) uh, yeah, Games Workshop isn't exactly going to be listening to this and be like, 
That Dr. Rhino guy. Let's uh, let's go make those changes, boys. Bring the books back. But it's um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm really interested as far as lists are concerned. Um, you you were saying that there is no one uh, like terrible or one amazing shield host. I think you're right. Solar Watch is going to be played a lot. Um, yeah. But I'm trying emissaries. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, play an emissaries list uh, with nine Sagittarium. <laughs> what do emissaries do? Uh, emissaries have a fight first in combat, which is great. Uh, I have a few uh, melee-focused uh, units in the army. Uh, but then they also have... They always ignore negative modifiers to hit and wound for uh, shooting and in fighting. Oh, okay. So I can, adv- yeah. I can advance and fire both profiles of the Sagittarum gun and still be hitting on twos. Yeah, Jeans to the Colts have a similar ability. So, oh, my God. Cults. That's very, very good. And you can actually stack it with um, one of the other cults, which is, um, sorry, one of the other custom cult traits, which is plus one to hit when you charge. So you can, you know, we have uh, like a power weapon equivalent in the, the rock cutter. And so instead of the rock cutter hitting on fours, which is what it's supposed to do, you actually hit on twos with them, which is very good. But incidentally, I do think it's worth pointing out that there is, it was really notable to have GSC and custodies come out alongside each other. And it definitely made me wonder about kind of the the process for how they come up with codexes because the damage on GSC is quite high, I think. Um, we get uh, like a, an abundance of three damage. Um, yeah, we can go to four damage pretty easily. You know, we have lots of high damage options in that book and that didn't seem to also come through in the Custodes book. So it, yeah, it, it was a bit of a surprise exactly. even to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I think I know the. I did, yeah. So I I can't speak to anyone who worked on the book, but from just for my personal opinion, um, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything because, like, I'm a playtester. I don't want anyone to be like, "Oh my god, it's a leak! This is how they do things." So, um, yeah, I can't even. I can't even speak to that. But uh, yeah cool do you guys want to say anything instead of me <laughs> um i i do want to uh it was a double patrol because i do i had to take the blade wizard i have to take a blade wizard in the list because i want to um deep strike him with on golden light and charge that in because that just sounds hilariously scary it's like oh yeah you got praetorian <laughs> plate on a on a uh, terminator captain which i have as well but the uh, oh, the big so the big one is just like and blade champion nine inches away, and I'm you know I'm rerolling that charge, but it'll it'll be scary. Um, I think that um, actually to your point where you said that it seems custodies seem to be beating Gene Stealer Cult um, more in these early bat reps um, that people are using you know to, because of the new codexes. I think that's because to a certain extent to pilot the custodies well with this new codex is a bit easier than piloting the new gene stealer cult codex well yeah um i i agree with you 100 percent. so yeah. i think that's there's why they're winning more, more yeah. time we're gonna get yeah there's a lot more i need i would need to sit down with the gene stealer cult codex like and have a proper look at it but from what i've seen there are a lot of very interesting tricks, especially when it comes to um, crossfire as a rule. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. Like Ed, Ed I know you did. Um, 
Winters, uh, when he did his review of the Genista Cult book, it's just a video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, quotation marks. Um, it's just a six-minute video of him reading out the crossfire rule and going, I am not reviewing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of think they misnamed them a little bit because... Like, I think Crossfire should be called something like Tracer Fire. I don't know whether it's a hangover from maybe one of the earlier editions when Genie the Colts were a thing. I think someone mentioned that that might actually be what it is. But, like, I think the names, it would help a lot if they were named, like, really appropriately. So Crossfire is, is Tracer Fire. That's, that's what that ability is. The, the ability is if I shoot you with something and I land a bunch of one damage shots or one high damage shot... That therefore acts as tracer fire for the other crossfire units in my army to target that unit. So that makes a lot of sense in practice um, for Genius Dealer Cults. Um, and then exposed is is basically just it, it should be called something like pincer maneuver because that that is what the ability is. That is how it's uh, yeah that is what it does. It is yeah if you have one unit one side one unit the other side and you can see through the unit then you get plus one to wound which is awesome. Um, and if you get both those things and you're close, that is awesome. you actually ignore cover as well, which is really, really powerful. And, and it has basically changed Genius City Cults to a Ballistic 3 army. Um, and that's why you know, I mentioned that custom cult. It's one of the more popular choices, I think, at the moment. My favorite is probably Pauper Princes right now. But um, it's very popular, that custom cult, because you know, you're hitting on twos a lot of the time in combat and threes a lot of the time um, in threes when you're shooting. So it's just it's an incredibly big buff to get. Um, and we did get points increases, but I, I think you know we, we got out pretty fairly um, in in most cases. So it's an absolutely yeah very powerful book. It, yeah, I, I can get that it can be confusing, um, and it's one of the few mechanics Games Workshop have added to the game that have slowed down the game. So there are huge amounts of the Genius Dealer Cults that were simplified um, from 8th edition, in my opinion, um, in a good way. Things that they took out because they were like, you know what, this, you know, it, it was adding something to the game, but it just was taking too much time to do. So let's kind of get rid of that and, and, and you know, hopefully the game will be quicker. Uh, however, now it's the case that they've actually added in Crossfire and Crossfire will slow the game down. You're going to have to, you know, take that time to make those decisions of going do I want to get onto the point or do I want to be crossfire? More, more decisions is more time, right? And then you're going to have to have those discussions with your opponent and be like, oh, okay, so can I can I see through that gap into my uh, ridge runner behind? Do I get the exposed benefit? Um, it's a really, um, yeah, it's a really interesting mechanic. I think it's going to be very fun, especially for like narrative players. But um, yeah, for tournaments, I think that's another big deal where we might see some interesting results with GSC is because you're going to, I think you have to be a pretty quick player to play with GSC. Um, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing I kind of really do want to mention with uh, Custodius as well is obviously we've got this new character. Holy shit. This guy is everything I've ever wanted. In a, yep. Match is showing us uh, his converted um, blade champion up to the camera. But like, oh my God. He's literally everything I've ever wanted from a Custodius character. Like, he's quick, he has advance, like, he has bonuses to his movement, he's got six-inch heroic intervention, he's got profiles to deal with literally any threat on the board. Like, he's an absolute monster in combat. I've seen people who have said, I'm going to take three, like, in an army. Like, it's, it's insane, but it's totally doable. And honestly, that model is a murder machine. I, I definitely want two. Um, because it's got two different poses, at least I'm tempted to convert a third. Mm. Um, but I would, I'd be, I'm so intrigued to see people take two 
on the board and just see what happens. Because it's an infantry model, it means infantry keyword still has obsec. It's just the bikers that lost it. So there's still play there. And you could have him stand on an objective and be like, right, doesn't matter what comes at me. Let's do this. So yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to see uh, to see some some gameplay with a few of those on the board. I'm and mm. my my final note upon the the Custodes Codex is this Auric weapons stuff. Ah, mm. I mean, obviously we're gonna have to wait for the Forge World update to know like if because the Custodes line, unfortunately, basically lives in Forge World. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of questions yeah, like with the uh, loss of a, <laughs> it's not only is it expensive, but there's, there's kind of that forge world curse where like the, the forge world stuff often tends to have slightly better profiles. Now, granted there, there has been a huge glow up with, uh, their abilities, their strength, their toughness, uh, just seeming to work better to my eyes with like the Alaris terminators, uh, being able to take those as single units is, is pretty spicy, but, um, I think that with uh, with the Forge World stuff, especially like Venatari with the loss of superior fire patterns, which was the main reason to take the buckler and pistol Venatari. I mean, that's what I built mine as. Um, if their pistols are not considered auric weapons, those are going to get shelved probably forever, at least as far as like competitive play goes. Um, I saw in a few discords, people are talking about ripping the arms off of their Venatari and replacing them with the spear arms. Oh my god, that's brutal. And I'm like, I mean, the, yeah, it's a pretty visceral description of it, but those are their words. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I'm really interested to see what happens with auric weapons. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I do actually, I like the idea that auric weapons are a thing. Um, and it, it did, It. I'm not going to lie, that double shoot strat was so good. Um, I Again, I remember having long chats long chats with the Sandman about this um the way that you could stack it with a big blob of alaris terminators was horrendous um for those of you who don't know one thing i was i was really kind of known for especially in eighth and ninth edition was taking a blob of nine alaris terminators um i'm just going to put it out there i think i made that a thing before most other people did uh simply because i only have nine alaris terminators you invented and, the alaris uh, terminator <laughs> I actually invented the Alaris Terminator, yes. But uh, it's the nine Alaris Terminator bomb is like hugely inefficient and no one did it except me um, because it's not worth doing. But uh, yeah, if you do take something like a big Alaris Terminator bomb, they had a strat to uh, target characters and you could double fire them. And so you'd just be like, okay, murder death, drop in anywhere and kill basically any character in the game. That wasn't like obviously a Primark or something, um, just because you could, and so it made them the best character snipers in the game for no reason. Um, so it's it's kind of nice that that interaction is gone in a way, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's going to be really interesting seeing like people use those particular combos and to see what happens with with and if there's any new Warwick weapons because like, can you imagine if I don't know the uh, the guns on the uh, Telamon end up being Warwick weapons? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That is a world I want to live in because I have two Telemon <laughs> that are not in my, my current list because I honestly couldn't find a place for them. Like where 
the with really? the eighth edition codex, it was I had double Telemons, a Galatus and Achilles. Uh, the old Vexillus Praetor yeah. giving them minus one to hit and the Trajan rerolls and a bubble and I just death balled up the middle of the board and I'm like, you can't touch me. I'm just going to just mow you down now. I got to say, I th- I still think the double fist Telemon has a lot of play in it. I'd be intrigued to, with Eternal Pentant, of course. Of course. I'd be intrigued to see, yeah, that. Actually, no, if you do Eternal Pentant and uh, Dreadhost, instead of, you get rerolls to charge and plus one, I believe. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I, I believe that is the case. So, uh, Telemon Dread with double fist, plus one to charge, and you're rerolling the charge with an extra minus one uh, is pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. I think that's got play. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I was, a, I was a Storm we'll Cannon see. guy with my... Uh, with my Telemon, so I guess maybe that's where my head was at. I'm just like, no, 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 big guns go burr. I'm looking at the strats right now, and I've got to say, like, I'm op- I'm putting on my narrative hat for a second here. There's one strat which I saw this and I skipped over it, and then I went back. I literally did oh, like a. Can I give take. you my favorite strat as well? We compare. I think we might have the same, but you go first. Oh no, no, I I mean from the Genius to the Cold book. Oh right, I see. Okay, uh, so I'll do. Yeah, I'll do the uh, the custodians one really quickly. Genuinely, my favorite strat so far is earning a name. I love. Yeah, that, that oh one's so God. good. Oh, it's so amazing. So, for those of you who don't know what it is, basically, when one of your characters kills another character, you get. Uh, it says here one trait of a shield host fighting style that it doesn't already have, and you have it till the end of the battle. And it's, or you get one stance of a martial kata, and it just applies to you f- for th- until the end of the battle. And it, that is, A, so powerful. You could just do, like, if you kill two characters with, with something, that whatever you've, whatever character you've just given two names to is just, like, unbelievably powerful. But the fact that you can do that in game, like, the literal earning of a name, of a deed name is just so cool from a narrative perspective. I love that. Mm-hmm. I I give my I, hats off to whoever invented that. Honestly, I I was actually going to say that's probably my favorite Custodes one as well. Oh yeah, interesting. That that neither of you said Tanglefoot Grenade because I fucking hate that stratagem. So um, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> GSC stratagems. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is really tough. The thing that causes me the most fun, um, which you mentioned earlier, Matt, is rig to blow, which is blowing up your vehicles as a genius to the cult player. It's just so fun, oh. and it has such an impact on the game. But, um, yeah, oh, God, we've got some... I, I'm going to struggle just to say one. So there's one that you can uh, throw a grenade in combat, a demo charge. I'm not saying this is efficient. I'm saying it's pretty fucking cool for what is essentially a crazy lady on a bike. And then, yeah, you can still blow up psychers. Oh, I love that so much. Um, in terms of actual quality, the Genius City Cults, like they've, we've just hit everything. We've got like, you know, reroll hits, reroll wounds, fight last, um, stop Overwatch, stop the heroic interventions. But my overwhelmingly favorite strat that is just, I think, just crazy good is one CP. 
once this should this should cost like four. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might be pushing it, but it's genuinely that good because this this keeps this just saves a unit in your army. That's how good this is. So for one CP, return to the shadows. Use the strategy in your movement phase. When Genius Decot's infantry unit from your army is selected to move or in the fight phase after Genius Decot infantry unit from your army has resolved all of its attacks but before its melee consolidation move, which basically means you can use this stratagem after your unit has wiped an enemy unit. So you drop a unit in from deep strike charge make the charge wipe the unit and then you pay one cp and you can then put that unit back into reserves now genius to the cults of course have you know toughness four five up save on acolytes and that's that you just you normally you would just lose the unit you know but now it's one cp and you get to use it next turn as well and that is so powerful like oh yeah i can't stress it you can only come in nine inches away and i should say that's one thing about the genius to the cult book that is also awesome uh, in fact i guess there's it's probably something to mention with the custodians as well i feel like these two books did answer a big hole that both of these factions had so with custodies um, of course it was uh, mortal wounds and the psychic powers they could be absolutely devastating as a custodies player because you just lose so many points in one psychic phase however with the kind of proper introduction of sisters of silence and you can even get the four up feel no pain versus immortal wounds if you build that way and that's actually how art of war were designing their lists on their streams it, like going into gray knights or thousand suns is easy you know <laughs> yeah they're just their their output is so diminished against you so so that's awesome but of course gene stealer cults couldn't really deep strike before we had basically the same deep strike rules as everybody else now the entire army deep strikes eight inches away or six inches away just as a rule so i can deep strike with any unit six inches away i can't then charge if i go six inches but like that's so so good it's just so good it means that like with our secondary game is so incredibly strong oh yeah it's so amazing that like yeah the, so so much of this book is so good um i'm fascinated to see yeah kind of what the uh you know your top tier players across the world where they end up going with this but um yeah right now everything just seems so good to me so good I am really interested to see what someone who knows what they're doing can do with overloaded fuel cells on a unit of aberrants Mm. what does it do uh it gives uh well anything that is an industrial weapon which is a very long list of uh of weapons um, that gene stealers have uh, access to. Like for neophytes, it's their heavy weapons, uh, like the mining lasers, the seismic cannons, and so on. But the aberrant hammers, I believe, um, now are, uh, they're considered an industrial weapon. So when you overload fuel cells, if it's a ranged weapon, you add one to the damage characteristic. If it's a, um, oh, excuse me, if it's a melee attack, you add one to the strength characteristic of the attack. And if you roll ones uh, yeah. to hit, you over, it's it's a plasma gun. You take a mortal wound. So I think yeah. I think uh, like just the idea of imagining them like punching like the fuel capacitor on their mining power hammers, and they start like glowing, and then they just start hitting things before they blow up. Um, yeah. Would be really tasty because that takes them up to strength nine can be important. Especially with everything you were just talking about, about being able to pop out, charge, smack a ruse, and then dip away. Like, being able to do that to a toughness eight thing and be wounding on threes, I think would be potentially pretty swingy. I think that that stratagem has particular play 
with things like um in fact just just on the rock grinder it's pretty good especially if you've got the demo charges because they are also an industrial weapon so you've got you know the seismic definitely seems to be the best weapon so that would be six attacks six shots at damage three that's absolutely amazing or you can go three shots at damage four and then you've also got d6 shots which you can spend a cp to get the full six um so you get another six shots of damage three so two cp on the glide of the rock grinder and you've got 12 shots a damage three <laughs> it's just pretty cool i didn't even think of that because it is specifically it's a model in the unit not a weapon yeah you've got the the neophyte blobs as well so i think that's a very popular option so again this the seismic seems to have come out really well in this edition um so that's definitely how i would build stuff if you're <laughs> if you're wondering how to do it because again you know you can just go with the longer wave option and uh with four seismic cannons and a 20-man blob that is um 24 shots at damage two which is pretty good and, and you know strength four minus one that'll kill most things not everything but you know most things that's great yeah also gene stealers are looking pretty hot i know you were talking about gene stealers earlier um but I've, i tried them today there's a one of the upgrades you can get basically just guarantees them a first turn charge and it's so, so many attacks it's uh it's pretty amazing really um oh there's so much to try there's so much to try i think generally I don't think I've played a proper 2,000-point game of 40K since No Retreat. Um, and so having this book come out and have so many options and essentially be so good, um, like it's really sort of energizing me to get back out and play with the Custodes. So, yeah, no, I, I can't wait, yeah. honestly. This is the most excited I am to play in a while. Yeah, and I was going to say the same thing. Like Between these two codexes, I think at least released in tandem, these are some of the best codexes of 9th edition. I know you said that Gene Steeler Cults is the best codex, like, flat out. I'd be willing to I'd be willing to hear that argument. Uh, I'd still disagree and say the Custodes one is better. Um, see, Quipster, I was with you the whole time. Uh, but the... <laughs> but the... Uh, but, but the big takeaway is that they're, that they're <laughs> both really, really solid codexes that are not overpowered. They're not coming in, and there's clearly yeah, a, a combo right from the get-go. Yeah. Where they're like, um, why is that thing 30 points cheaper than it should be? Um, stuff like that. So I think that these are good codexes. We're going to see a lot of fun yeah. play. We're not going to necessarily see them rise to S-tier, but I think they're both A-tier armies in the right hands. And that yeah, makes me happy. I definitely agree. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're, they're balanced. They're not broken. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a very good point for us to finish up on there so um matt where can anybody find you if they want to see you painting custodies genes de la Colts, or many of the other fantastic things that you paint uh you can find me uh both on twitch and i mean i am on youtube but that's just like where i i keep uh the unedited raw footage of my uh my podcast uh called office hours but i hang out on twitch and instagram at dr rhino underscore so all one word drr h-i-n-o underscore god spelling my own name's hard uh but yeah i i stream mondays and fridays 6 to 9 p.m central standard time so that's nice and simple okay, okay. 
Brilliant. And if you listen to this podcast, you undoubtedly follow Quips the Nerd on Instagram. <laughs> so you know where to find him and uh, you know exactly where I'll be on YouTube. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, yeah, we hope this is really useful. We are, um, yeah, there's kind of a lot to cover in this episode. So uh, yeah, hope it was hope it was cool for you guys. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, if you've got any questions about the Custodies or GSC, yeah, please feel free to message any of us because um, quite frankly, we love to talk about our factions so thank you very much for watching this episode do make sure to visit versatile terrain for your amazing nameplates and we'll see you in the next one bye 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 bye